Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. As God um, continues to shape us into those things. So that's it. Amen? Cool. All right. So Luke 11. Luke 11. That was my pre-sermon. Now the real sermon. Luke 11. Uh, would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word again here? And uh, I'll have verse 2 through 4 up on the screen, and this has been our custom. We've, uh, I'll, I'll read Luke 11, 1 and 2, and then when we get to the Lord's Prayer, let's say it together out loud. Here's our text. Luke 11, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would use this time now to communicate your heart to us, your truth to us. Um, Lord, it's a, God, it's an impossible task for me to speak into this microphone, into the ears of all that are gathered here, uh, Lord, and, and, and change lives or to perfect, perfectly communicate your heart. So we, we know we need your spirit. Um, we invite your spirit. We ask that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Now, as we have broken into the Lord's Prayer, uh, this prayer you see up here on the screen, we have been uh, meticulously breaking it down thought by thought. We're learning how to pray and we're learning about prayer from the prayer specialist himself, Jesus. And what we see here in the Lord's Prayer, this is not the full teaching that the Bible has to say about prayer. Like, you can learn stuff about prayer in the Bible outside of this prayer. Uh, but for what Jesus has given us here, uh, I want to summarize uh, what he's taught us. So if we could summarize the Lord's Prayer into one central idea, we, we would say this. That Jesus gives us here in the Lord's Prayer paternal petitions. Paternal petitions. Uh, remember last week we talked about this, that this prayer that Jesus leads us to pray, it contains six petitions. A petition is an appeal, look at this, to a higher authority with respect to a particular cause. That's a petition. Uh, you see in the Psalms, this prayer of God, would you grant me my petition? It's bringing this appeal to a higher authority. Let's be sure God is a higher authority. And it's uh, looking to him to respond according to this particular cause. Now, uh, that's what we have here. Jesus has six petitions that we bring to God, but they're not just petitions. We need to remember they are, like I said, paternal petitions. Um, the basis of our relationship with this higher authority, it changes and determines everything about our prayers. Uh, and Jesus would teach us that when we come before God we're not coming to him with our request. We're not coming as like citizens to a government official like, hello, sir, could you build a park over there? You know, like we're not coming as these little, you know, um, kind of distant, foreign, um, uh, non-relating uh, subjects. But we're coming to him as his children. 
But when we come before God, the idea is we got to think, start thinking more about it this way. When I pray, it's not that I'm like going up and trying to get God, but I am sitting in the lap of my father as a child. That's, that's the picture. I'm, I'm home. I'm with God. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, when you pray, first and foremost, remember who it is you're speaking to so that you don't try to earn his attention, so that you don't try to get him to like go, okay, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. I will consult with my you know, committee, my board, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? My board, and we're going to decide whether or not it's a good idea. No, that's not the language Jesus gives us. He says, when you pray, the basis is so important. These are paternal petitions. This is a child coming to his dad who is unlike any earthly dad. This is our father in heaven. And when we look at these six paternal petitions that Jesus gives us, uh, we see that the first three of them, which are that God would have his name be hallowed, that God's kingdom would come, and that God's will would be done. They're right there in verse 2. Those first three, we called them, let me remember last week, what kind of petitions? We're interactive today. I like it. Good. Prioritize petitions. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Drew. All right. So last week we talked about Jesus helping us prioritize our petitions uh, in order that, listen, we might not be at the center of our own prayer lives, okay, which is going to be our tendency, just like every other area of life, to put ourselves at the center, right? So Jesus says, let's make sure that we're not at the center of our own lives, certainly not our prayer lives. And to do that, Jesus is going to teach us to prioritize the things of God. Okay? We're going to come before him and say, oh, your name, not my name. Right? Your kingdom and your purposes, not whatever my kingdom looks like, my domain. And ultimately, we need to pray, God, not my will, but your will be done. My will undone so that your will can be done. So these are prioritized petitions. Now, this morning as we close out our study of the Lord's Prayer, we're going to look at the last three, which we'll call this morning, not prioritized petitions, but personalized petition. So uh, you can write that down at the top of your notes. This is the big idea this morning, okay? That's the thought we want to work from this morning. Uh, we want to ask this question this morning, okay? Do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for yourself? And if you do, what do you pray for? That's what Jesus has us thinking about this morning. Do you pray for yourself? And if so, what do you pray for? Now, uh, we see here in this uh, section here at the end of the Lord's Prayer, first, that Jesus teaches us to personalize our prayers. He teaches us to do that. You have your kingdom, your will, and your name, but then you have God give us our daily bread. Lord, forgive us our sins. Lord, help us forgive those who are indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. That's a lot of us's up in there, okay? This is a personalized direction to our prayer. Uh, and, and it is important, by the way, that we do, again, prioritize the things of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself, like, praying for myself too much. I can do that. It's like, Lord, I come before you, and I just, like, my like, God, give me this. Help me with that. Amen. And people are like, wow, wow, that was good. You're so all about you, you know? And that's what can happen. And so we should also look to praying for other people. But what Jesus gives us here is sort of this like reminder uh, that, that we need to first make sure that we are prioritizing the well-being of our spiritual lives, of our souls, right? It's sort of like this self-care prayer plan. You know, the, the age-old, uh, you're in the airplane, if this thing goes down, which I try not to pay attention to because I'm already, already a little leery about flying in the sky in a little tube with other people. But, um, and they say, you know, if, if, if in a case of emergency, oxygen mask comes down, and what do they tell you to do? 
put yours on first, right? You're not going to be able to help anybody else if you are not first caring for yourself. So we see the importance of praying for ourselves. And this is all over the scriptures, right? We know tons of verses that speak to this heart that we should be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4. But in everything, look at this, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let's ask it this way this morning. What is something in your life that God knows about, but you have not yet made it known to him? That's, that's what it means to bring, bring these requests before God. It's not that he's like in the dark, right? Like, God, uh, you know that my, um, my bill is due this month. I just want to make it known to you. And he's like, oh, thank you. Good. That's good. Yeah, I can answer that. Good thing you brought it to my attention, right? No. We don't make our requests known to God for God. We make our requests known to God for ourselves, right? To bring what we have in our own life to him so that we're coming to him. It's not, you know, briefing God on something he doesn't know. Here's the 411, Lord, okay? Uh, the Lord knows. But we're called to enter into relationship with him by not carrying our cares, but the scriptures teach us to cast our cares, doesn't it? Peter teaches us that. The great fisherman teaching us to cast in First Peter, Bible joke, First Peter 5. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Notice this, casting all your care upon him. For why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. He's a father who cares for his children. And he would desire, just like any father would or any parent would, that the children don't wear the weight of their worries, but that they would bring them to those that God has put in their life to walk them through life. And that's Jesus to us. He's the one who bore that burden, who took that care of the cross for us. And we're to continue to come to him in that same way. Thank you, God, that you don't push us away when the request seems too big and too drastic, that you can handle it. That's, that's what makes God so great, isn't it? That there's nothing too big in our lives that we don't need to make, we don't need to bring to him and cast on him. He'll never be moved by whatever it is. But what also makes him so good is there's also nothing too small. There's nothing too big you can bring to God, but there's also nothing too small. Because he's a father who cares, right? It's, you know, you ever do this, parents, when your kids come in? It's like uh, the other day we went to um, uh, the beach and the classic sad fire ant situation there. And, and uh, Evie got it real bad, real bad. And she's kind of the, I don't mean to, sh you know, just roast Judah, but she's kind of the tougher one. And she said, ow, it hurts and it hurt. And, and, and Judah got like one ant bite. One little, like a little, it might even been like a pimple, to be honest. But, um, I don't know if kids get, should get pimples on their feet. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Like, it was like, okay. Um, and, you know, <laughs> there's a sense in which, like, Judy, you're going to be all right, buddy. You know? But he really wanted to be wrecked. Like, ow, it hurts me too. Dad, do you care? And I didn't go, I know you got bit by fire ants too, Judah. But Evie got six more bites than you, and so you don't matter. Okay? Like, just get the sand off. No, like, I showed, even as a, as a fallen sinful dad, I showed concern for Judah. Now, some of us, the reason why we don't pray and the reason why we don't actually bring our requests to God and we don't pray for ourselves is because we look around us and we go, oh, they got more bites than me. And we have this idea of God that he only cares around, about like these big, big, he's a father. Do we know God that way? Let me remind ourselves of what we just read there in Philippians. It says to bring, what does it say? To bring everything, everything. That's big things and that's small things what a good God, what a great God who says, bring everything to me 
in prayer. Pray for yourself. But it's not here in uh, that verse we're looking at, that section here in, in Luke 11. It's not just that Jesus tells us to pray for ourselves and to bring our requests to God. What I want us to really focus on here this morning is how Jesus tells us to pray for ourselves. Uh, equally as important, not just that you pray for yourself, but how you pray. Uh, what Jesus has really been doing in this whole prayer, these petitions, is he's been helping align us with God and with truth and with his word. Right? And there's really two ways to do life with God. Either you try to get him to align to your things or you align with his things, with his truth and his word, which endures forever. So Jesus has been kind of bringing us into balance because our tendency, especially when praying for ourselves, I know for me, when I pray for myself, my tendency is to have uh, this kind of imbalance. I'm all out of line. You ever, you ever had that in your car where you're like, okay, I got to go take this in. I need a little tune up here because, you know, if I take my hands off the steering wheel for that second, it's, you know, you kind of, which you shouldn't do that. You should tend to, but you, you get the idea, right? It's like you, you notice there's a lack of alignment. So Jesus helps align us. Now, it's kind of a plan he gives, right? Like, knowing that our tendency maybe is to pray for one area rather than the full gamut, okay? Um, and this is our, our tendency, I think, just in general in life. We tend to think about our lives, and it's not that, like, we can focus. I don't want this to be misunderstood. as like you can focus on praying for one area of your life too much, right? Like, yeah, I've been really praying for God to deliver me from evil, like, way too much. Like, I would need to stop asking him to do that, right? Or I've just been praying for my food too much, like daily bread. Or I've just been really focusing on repentance, and I just need to dial back the repentance. It's like, nah, no. It's not that you can pray for one thing too much, but there is this sense in our prayer lives to where we can neglect other things, is there not? We can neglect what, what God would see as maybe more of a holistic approach to prayer. Um, that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us prayer that encompasses sort of this, this, um, this full person. Um, it's the classic body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. He says, pray for God to give us our daily bread, our material needs. Pray for God to, to forgive us of our sins, and so that forgiveness can also affect our relationship with others. That's our relational health. That's our soul. And God, I pray that you would keep me from temptation and deliver me from the evil one. That's called spiritual, what? Warfare. Body, soul, and spirit. It's this, this greater treatment plan for our prayer lives. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, the body, soul, and spirit trichotomy. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, here's the big word, completely, right? That's the idea here, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think when it comes to like us being taught what we should pray, there's two sides of it. There's one sense in which sometimes we, Jesus needs to teach us to pray because we pray inappropriately, right? James 4 talks about asking amiss. Okay, Lord, give me this day my daily Lamborghini, you know? Like, that, that's the idea, all right? Or, Lord, I just pray that you would bring your, what is it, smite, smoting? Do something to that person, Lord. It's smite them, okay? Now, we, we can pray in a So we need God's word to help us there. But we can also find ourselves in prayer and in our relationship with God. We can, we can be relating to God incompletely. Incom it's not that you don't have key pieces of our prayer life, but it's lacking more of, of substance to it. Jesus has more for us, is what this is saying. He's got more for our lives than just God. Would you please protect me and my family? We just need a solid hedge. Get us the hedge. If we can get a nice hedge of protection, 
will be good. Or, or God, just forgive me, forgive me. I don't need to pray for my material needs. Why would I pray for my bread when my motto in life is let's get this bread? I don't need God, you know? I just kind of, Lord, just, just forgive me. Or, or there's no repentance. There's no, there's no depending on God for your needs. It's just, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from the evil one. Everything's just hyper-spiritual and metaphysical, right? Uh, we, we can be missing these different parts. So I love what Paul says. May he sanctify you completely. May our prayer lives be completely set apart so that we focus on our whole spirit, soul, and body. Now, why would we humble ourselves and put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and allow him to, to shape our prayer lives in these ways. And let, let's be reminded, it's because Jesus has led us to our Father. And the Bible says in Matthew 6 that our Father in heaven, he knows what we need even before we pray. Isn't that awesome? Even before we ask. Now, for some of us, we go, well, then why do I pray? Because your Father knows what you need. That, that shouldn't discourage your prayers. That should encourage your prayers. That should make you go, God... In other words, I don't know what I need. I can tend to think I know what I need. But I'm going to defer to you. I'm, you're the one who's now the captain of my soul. You, you, you've taken control of this life. So when I pray, I'm going to trust that you know what I need. So we come under the teaching of Jesus and we say, Jesus, you tell me what I need. It kind of reminds me of um, one of my uh, <clears throat> favorite pastimes, and that's going to uh, the coffee shop around the corner, main coffee shop, and uh, spending most of my life there. I spend more time there than I feel like than I do with my family sometimes, but it's okay. Um, it's not okay. That's <laughs> a problem. But um, just kidding. My family's great. Um, but when I go into main coffee, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a great full experience of all the different coffee options and different ways to drink the coffee, different kinds of coffee. And here's what I know about coffee. I know that I like it. Here's what I don't know about coffee, anything else, okay? So, you know, if it's Dan or Ben there at the front or Leo, I usually come in and, and they'll have the list. And um, do you want a Colombian this, a Guatemalan, a single origin? I'm like, oh, a sing I was thinking double origin. <laughs> single, okay. I don't, I'm just like, I just want it black, you know? Like, that's it. Um, I, all I know is I'm like, oh, that's not from a Keurig. You might call me a connoisseur of coffees. Um, no, not at all. So what I do is I usually go in and I say, if, usually this is with Ben too. I'm like, uh, my friend Ben works. So I go, Ben, uh, I don't, what, what do I, what you tell me, right? I, I kind of defer to him. I go, I'm just going to trust that you're the professional. And at the end of this, I'm going to be caffeinated and happy, okay? So I'm going to put that on you. And they do a great job. So a little plug there from Maine. But um, the point is I'm deferring to a professional to know what I need more than I do. And the same should be true with our prayer life. So Jesus, he does that for us. Let's look at these, okay? Let's look at these prayers that he gives us. Let's keep looking at this, right? He tells us how to pray. The first thing he says to pray for is that, let's look at it again. It's on the screen there that uh, God would give us this day our daily bread. So this is where you got to start. You start in prayer by praying for basic material provision. That's what he says to do, okay? It's, it's the element of, of the, the physical nature of life. 
um, which God does care about, okay? Um, we tend to think about heaven. We tend to think about the kingdom of God and this very immaterial idea, kind of like floating around and, and by and by, pie in the sky. And, and we don't understand often the nature of, of, of God's heart even towards the material world. We know it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so even here, there's this, this call to pray for our material needs. Lord, would you give us this day... Our daily bread. That's the first way that the scriptures teaches us to pray for material needs. Now, by praying this way, God, would you give me this day my daily bread? What we are doing is we are recognizing God as the source of my whole life. This is so important. By saying, God, give me what I need. Lord, would you provide for me materially? We're recognizing God as the source of my life. We, we don't look primarily to ourselves and say, I'm the one. That is going to determine what my future, fully what my future looks like. I'm the one that provides for my family. Now, there is the call there. We're going to talk about that. But there's a rest involved here. This is such a great practice to pray this. Like, you're just waking up in your day and saying, Lord, today, I just acknowledge that everything I have comes from you. Like, do we believe that? The clothes on our back, the food on our plates, the roofs over our heads the jobs we have, the family we have, do we recognize, as Jesus prays, that this was given to us by God? Give us this day our daily bread. Have we taken those blessings and turned them back to praise? God, you've given me everything I have, my successful business, my successful career, just graduated, whatever it is. It's you, Lord. And when you acknowledge that, you're able to start your day by going, it's always and only going to be you, right? There's a rest here. Lord, so I wake up and I say, God, give me what I need today. I'm recognizing you as the source. Now, I'm also, listen, resting in his loving care. I'm recognizing God as the source of my life, but I'm resting in his care. I'm not worrying about the day. I'm not worrying about all these things, right? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6 where he says, you're wasting your life worrying about your life. See, when you come to God and recognize him as your father, who's the source of your life, you're not going to worry about the outcome. You're not going to spend time worrying. You're going to spend your time seeking. Seeking. He tells us this in Matthew 6. He says that all these things the Gentiles seek. They worry. They, they, they don't have a relationship with God as father. But you have a heavenly father, and he knows that you need all these things. That's enough right there. God knows what I need. He knows what I need. This is so huge. Now, there's a difference, isn't there, between what we need and what we want. That's, a, that's sometimes a, a tough uh, needle to thread in life. It's like, well, God's put this in my heart, and that's even a, a sermon for another time about God fulfilling our desires, but God knows what we need. He knows what we need. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, Lord, give me this day a Texas Day Brazil spread. Okay? That would be great, though. He does give us those things. But he says, my daily bread. He's talking about needs, basic necessities of life. This is so important to, to pray this way, to rest in God's loving care this way. Uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 30. This is incredible scripture in Proverbs 30 where uh, the author says, Lord, uh, I pray that you would give me my food allotted to me. Uh, don't give me too much that I forget you. And don't give me too little that I steal. I love that. Like, what a great way to pray. Lord, because there's a tendency, right? Lord, um, some of us were like, we don't really believe actually, that we depend on God for what we have. Especially in a country like this where, I mean, if you're hungry, like, come on, when's the last time you were hungry and you said, God, give me my daily bread? I need, most of us, we've never had to do that. 
unless, it, you know, we pull into the drive-thru, Chick-fil-A or whatever, we just pull in. We take care of the needs for ourselves. There's a sense in which the reason why we need to pray this is because of our tendency to forget God. And we, we're, so, we're so blessed, there's so much here that I, we've forgotten God. Coming back to the necessities that God takes care of. There's this other sense in which we, we do need God and we've sort of, we've abandoned him altogether. And we're looking to other things to give us what we need. But, but there's this call that Jesus gives here in praying this way. I'm coming to God, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing him as the source, and I'm trusting in his loving care that when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. That God will take care of me. There's rest and recognition in this. To, to again, recognize him as the source and to rest in his loving care. But I also want to point this out. I think this is interesting. It's interesting that the prayer is for God to provide daily bread, right? Daily bread. It's not a prayer to say, God, would you provide this for me tomorrow? Or it's not a prayer going, going back and saying, man, I wish that thing would have really been there in the past, living in the past. This is what God is always seeming to get us to do, is to live within the timeline that he has us. You ever struggle with that? You ever struggle with either being in the wrong spot, you're, going, you're in the back, you're in the past too much, or you're living too far in the future? This is what's amazing about God too, right? He, he's not bound by those things. Like God is outside of space and time. Yet isn't it amazing that this God who is eternal, he chooses to walk with us in the present. It's sort of mind-blowing. And he's always calling us to walk with him in the present, isn't he? Today's the day, he says, of salvation. So don't worry about tomorrow. Forget what's behind. But there's a sense in which we come to God and rest and we go, Lord, today, day by day. Daily, notice this too, Bread. My daily bread. Um, that's an interesting thing that Jesus has us praying for. Again, a need, but it's not a need that grows like on a tree. Um, we know in the Old Testament, God had manna fallen from heaven. But Jesus is, is, is teaching us to pray for something, listen, that is actually the product of somebody's work. Bread. Manna also has great bread. Okay, sorry, I'm going to stop talking about manna. All right. It's the product of someone's labor. Even if you get your bread, you get his bread, Okay. Even if you do, you've worked to buy the ingredients or to purchase it from someone. So th this isn't an excuse, by the way, to sit back and sort of like wait on the Lord to give you what you need. Just waiting on the Lord. There's, there's a difference between passively waiting on the Lord and actively waiting on the Lord, isn't there? There's a way to, I, I mind you the other day, um, we're teaching Evie, our, our daughter, to, to just practice centering her, her own prayer life, which is very minimal at this point, but, you know, like when she gets upset or we're teaching her lately to just say, Evie, just ask God to help you have a different attitude. Just try that. Say, God, would you help me act different towards my brother right now? And so she's totally abusing this whole praying thing recently. So the other day we were like, Evie, go clean your room. She goes, no, I want to go pray. So what are you going to say? No. She's cute and she's being spiritual. So she was, her whole thing, she, we had, it was like, like, you know, what it's like, trying to get your kids to clean the rooms, right? But three years old. So she wanted to go in our room and like all spirit, close the door and pray. And she goes, no, dad, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. And it was like, no, clean your room, right? Pray as you clean, clean as you pray, okay? And can I say, like, some of us, there's things in our life right now that we're kind of like heavy. We're like, Lord, I'm just praying. I'm praying for a, for a job. Lord, would you get me a job? He's like, yeah, go fill out an application. Right. 
Like, what if God wants to provide for you through you? Through work, right? Like, there's simple stuff here. Lord, I just, I really, I, I pray that you provide a spouse for me. And sometimes I, that prayer for that need, I find that it's very one-sided sometimes, right? So we want that perfect person, but how about, Lord, would you make me someone else's perfect person? How about that prayer? Lord, I pray that you would make me someone else's answer to prayer. I think there's a way to think about about waiting on God and Him providing for our needs that's not passive, but it's actively seeking Him. And when we seek Him, He promises, you can rest in my loving care, amen? So that's bodily provision. Now, He also teaches us to pray, well, we'll say it this way, in regards to our soul, for relational preservation. Uh, preservation as opposed to something getting stale and old, to, to keeping things fresh in our relationships. Um, he says, when you pray, also pray this way, God, forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This inseparable connection there, by the way, of vertical and horizontal forgiveness. Jesus is teaching us to pray mindful, not just of our physical needs, resting in his care, recognizing him as the source, but also to consider our relational needs, our soul. Now, your soul, it's, it's the part of you that's either relationally healthy or unhealthy. It's your relational health. It's your ability to receive and extend forgiveness. Okay, So your, your brain and your, your mind might know all these things about God and his forgiveness, but has the Holy Spirit downloaded those things into your soul? Where you don't just know that God loves you, but you feel like God loves you. Now, we can't let feeling be the master. It, it serves what's true and what we know. But I've been in the Christian church world here in the American context for long enough that there's a lot of people in the spiritual world who have really unhealthy souls. And they can give you every Bible verse, but here's the question. What's the health of your relationship with God and others? What's the health there? And so, so Jesus is speaking into that, and, and, and he kind of describes it almost like um, as a scenario that's just really missing one foundational thing. It's missing the forgiveness of God the forgiveness of God. I kind of think of it as like, sometimes we can get ourselves trapped in this room of an unhealthy soul where we're not coming near, we're distant from God. There's distance with us in God and there's dysfunction in our relationships. It's kind of like just a big tangled mess and we're, we're trapped in this room and all the windows are closed and everything's locked and it's like Jesus comes and says, just open this window, right? It's this cool, fresh air breeze of God's forgiveness. And watch what happens when you become a recipient of God's forgiveness. Watch how that transforms your relationships. There's no relational renovator like the forgiveness of God. I'll say that again. There is no relational renovator like, the, like experiencing the forgiveness of God. So Jesus leads us to pray that way, that first we would come before God and we'd say, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? Which, um, let's establish something really important. Um, every person in this room needs God to forgive their sins. Even if man has forgiven you for what you've done, we need God to forgive us of our sins. And the scriptures tell us in Hebrew that without the shedding of blood, this has been all throughout history. There can be no forgiveness of sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus took your sin on himself in order that you might be forgiven. Did you know that? And, and the language of scripture, even here in this passage, is it talks about 
this idea of like being a debtor to God, right? And the idea is that we owe God a lot. And there's two ways that you can fix that problem. You can try to pay him back, which is impossible. You don't have enough time, even if you did. You don't have, it, you don't have enough resources. You, we were not sufficient to do that. No one in this room is sufficient to pay God back for how we've sinned against him. We're debtors of God. But there's another way. That other way is if Jesus pays your debt for you. It's like if a debt collector showed up at my house and knocked on the door. My wife answered the door and said, Mrs. Lundy, you owe X, Y, Z. You know what she would say? She'd say, well, you got to talk to my husband. And listen, as Christians, you know what we get to say? When Satan comes to us and says, oh, you owe this to God, we say, go talk to Jesus. Go talk to him. He, he paid it for me. So now let, let's establish this. We have forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus. Amen? Now, Jesus saying, when you pray, say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus is not, um, he's not giving us a way to be forgiven. Because Jesus accomplishes that way. Jesus is the way to be forgiven. What he's giving us is a relational practice, okay? Coming before God, when you sin as a Christian, notice I said when, not if, right? As you sin, human being, a follower of Jesus, um, we ought to come before God and pray this way. God, would you forgive me? Not so that he does, but because he has. Because he has. So I want you to think of it this way. When I come to God and I ask him for forgiveness for my sins, what I'm doing is I am withdrawing something from a spiritual bank account that Jesus has given me. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not like trying to put forgiveness in there, but I'm withdrawing the forgiveness. This, is, uh, this will determine your nearness to God is the extent to which you withdraw that forgiveness. A lot of you right now, you're far from God this morning because you haven't gone to your bank account <laughs> and withdrew this. This forgiveness coming before God. Uh, we, we know that this is a healthy soul, a healthy relationship with God. Martin Luther described this. Uh, we've, we've looked at this quote a few times. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance, right? Like this should be the, the regular rhythm of our Christian life. Constantly coming before God, knowing he's forgiven us, but bringing our sin before him and saying, God, would you forgive me again? Thank you that you have forgiven me. It's accessing that forgiveness, accessing that forgiveness. I was thinking of it this way. It's almost like when you're walking through a, a crowd, right? And you're like, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, right? Pardon me. I was like, that should be like a normal language in our prayer life. God, pardon me. Sorry, sorry. Right? Like how often does that come out of your mouth? God, would you forgive me for my sins? Will you pardon me for my sins? Now there's, I would say there's two reasons, maybe today, why you're distant, you could be distant from God or you could be someone who's not experiencing this forgiveness okay one reason would be that you have uh, simply this view of God's love but it's a lack of view of God's holiness okay and this is often how the enemy um, will manipulate us and uh, confuse is you have today in the church you have Christians all they see is God's love there's no knowledge of God's holiness on the other hand it's all God's holiness and there's no knowledge of grace, right? Jesus was that perfect embodiment of grace and truth. And so for a lot of us, all we know, though, is God's love. And we don't know his holiness. And so the reason why we're never asking for forgiveness is because we're like, I don't really have anything to ask God you know, for forgiveness for. 
I mean, yeah, like I messed up a little bit here and there, but, you know, whatever. And really, here's the issue here. This is a person who's not asking for forgiveness because they're not familiar with the sin that's in their life. They're either turning a blind eye to it or they just don't see it. Okay? The remedy for this, by the way, is God's holiness. Remember Isaiah in the Old Testament. He was a guy that saw the holiness of God. And after he saw who God was, what was the result? He saw who he was. He's like, oh, I'm not that. And he said this, woe is me. You know, now, before Isaiah saw the Lord in the first few chapters of Isaiah, you know what he's saying? He's saying, woe are you. Woe to thee. Sinners. They. Them. And then you see God and you go, we. Us. Woe is me. And forgiveness all of a sudden becomes a lot more appealing, doesn't it? When you become familiar with your sin. Can I encourage maybe some of us, the reason why we haven't seen our sin is because we don't compare ourselves to God, but we compare ourselves to other Christians. And so we think we're pretty good because when we know that about that person. And so a lot of times our relationship with God is based on our performance compared to the person next to us. That's not theological. That's not in scripture. That's not true. What we need to pray is the psalmist prayer in Psalm 139. God, would you search me and know my heart? Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, This is why we need a humble relationship with God where we say, Lord, show me this sin in my life to, to keep me fresh and close to your forgiveness. And also, this is why we need community. You're like, I don't have any sin in my life. How do you know? Well, because I know. I just know. Well, have you asked anybody else? No, I am my own wise counselor and I am my own community. I'm enough. No, of course not. That's why we need people in our lives that can be like, hey, you know when you did that? That was dumb. You're like, I love you, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Repentance. Now, it's, it's this view of God's love. Now, there's another hand where I want to say this, that some of you, the reason why you don't know God's forgiveness is not that the enemy's hiding God's holiness, but maybe God is hiding his love or the enemy's hiding God's love. So one person is like, they're not familiar with their sin. There's another person who's more familiar with their sin than they are with God's grace. And you need to get to know God's grace. The scriptures tell us in Romans 5 that where sin abounds, God's grace abounds so much more. That much more. So we come to God. We come to his forgiveness through his son Jesus. And notice what it does. It changes how I look at other people. My forgiveness towards them is different. Because if God has paid my debt, Who am I to hold you against what you owe me? God, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. It was Peter who went to Jesus and Jesus, how many times, how many times should we forgive someone who sinned against us? Seven times? I love Peter. (laughs) Number of completion, right? How about seven times 70, Peter? Right? And you know Peter, what did he do? He went, oh, 490, got it, got it, 490 times. All right, well, they're at 483, so <laughs> seven more offenses, and then I'm out, and then they owe me, right? Jesus giving that math equation was not uh, to, to give Peter the number he was looking for. It was a way of saying, way more than you think you need to forgive them. How often should I forgive people who have been sinning against me? Way more than you think you should. 
And Jesus goes on to tell a parable of somebody who, who was released a, small, a, a great debt. But then when somebody came to them and didn't have the money for their small debt that they owed them, that they brought just terror down on that person. And Jesus goes on to describe, like, that's a person that's in judgment because that's not a person who's received the forgiveness of God. Because here's the gospel. God has forgiven us seven times 70 times 70 times 70 times, right? How many times can we go on? Amazing. Aren't you glad that the limit to your offenses as a, as a follower of Jesus, it, it doesn't end? That God is always offering us that fresh forgiveness, and that should be fuel in my forgiveness towards others. Relational preservation. We close out with this last one. It's spiritual protection. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we pray for our material needs, Lord Jesus, resting in your loving care, recognizing you as the source. Not passively, but actively, we wait on you. We, we ask that you would pour out your fresh forgiveness on our lives. We recognize that we are sinful, but we recognize that you're a God of grace. And that grace, it moves through our lives into those around us. And then lastly, spirit. Lord, would you not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Praying for spiritual protection. Now this is a, a verse that uh, is, is just kind of, seems a little out of place. Like we started with our Father in heaven, right? And I love that that's what the prayer is called, you know, the Our Father. Nobody calls it the prayer about the evil one, you know. It goes from our father to the evil one. It's like, whoa, okay, that took a turn, right? Our father in heaven, we need deliverance from the evil one. Um, this is where Jesus ends with this. He takes us in this direction of recognizing us. At the end of the day, our spiritual lives are a, are a fight, right? They're a battle. Um, there's an enemy. There's an enemy. He calls him the evil one. As Christians, you know, we don't have this problem where we're like, we have to try to excuse evil in the world and give it different names and just blame it on natural causes. As believers, we understand that behind all of the brokenness in society is a brokenness spiritually that's rooted in real evil, real forces, real demonic oppression. The scripture teaches us that in this wrestle of life that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a, there's a spiritual battle there, an enemy whose bend is to, to steal, kill, and destroy from us. Notice this. And the, the tool that he uses, right? It's this thing that Jesus says is temptation. That's how he fights us. It's a, it's a cul-de-sac too, right? It's like, it's temptation to sin, and then it's condemnation. Where he, say, he gets you to do something dumb, and then afterwards he makes you feel that you are what you did. And then so you just keep going. Temptation, condemnation, temptation, condemnation. It's, it's this cul-de-sac of condemnation. And you can get stuck there. So Jesus, Jesus recognizes this attack of the enemy. And he says, when you pray, say, God, lead me not into temptation. Now, it's important here. Jesus is not teaching that God is the one who tempts us, right? We know this, that the, the, the book of James, uh, it's a great book. You should study it sometime. Just kidding. We just finished it. And in James, James tells us that let no, let no one say when he is tempted that God is the one tempting him. That, that's contrary to God's nature. God doesn't tempt us. See, see we're tempted... When the tempter, Satan, capitalizes on our desires, our weaknesses. And temptation occurs when we're drawn away by our own desires and we're enticed into sin. 
That's temptation. Now, what's amazing about God is that God is sovereign over this. And let me say this. God uses temptation. Do we know this? That's why Jesus is, it's, it's almost like Jesus is remembering when he says, Lord, lead me not into temptation. He's remembering that time in Matthew 4 when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? It's like, I didn't envision being Spirit-led looking like that. Right? What are you doing? Just living a Spirit-led life. Where are you going? Temptation. Probably a unique direction. Now, this doesn't mean that we should foolishly put ourselves in situations that are going to destroy us, right? But this does mean that God will put us in scenarios that are opportune for our faith. That, that he sees this, and he tells us this, that he'll never put us in a scenario of temptation where there's not a way out. Second Peter says that God even knows how to get us out of those scenarios. But, but he'll put us in those scenarios to transform our lives. You know, a lot of times we can think about victory over sin as not being tempted to do something. Are you victorious over that sin? Yeah, why? I haven't wanted to do it in so long. The question is in, in victory is not do you want to do it, it's when you do, do you? Do you? You see, for, for Jesus, temptation was an opportunity to prove love for God, to grow in the power of the Spirit, See, what, what God wants to use to transform our lives, Jesus also recognizes the enemy wants to use to deform our lives. A lot of us are here today because we fell into one temptation. And where has it led you today? That one compromise. See, there's a sense in which there's a healthy respect for temptation here. God, please don't lead us into that. We, we know that you use it, but God, keep us from that. Keep us from temptation. It's later on in James that, where James says, listen, the, the reason why temptation is so dangerous is because temptation, it brings us into these small sins that become full grown and kill us. So, so this is a heart posture for our spiritual lives. We, we, we want spiritual protection. We say, God, we know our tendencies. We know what we're prone to. Lord, we recognize how vulnerable we are in those situations of temptation. So lead us not into temptation, but I love this, but even if we find ourselves in temptation, would you deliver us? Deliver us, God. This is looking to God, by the way, to fight your battles, which is so counterintuitive. Like the way that the scripture says, here's how you fight your battles. Like, I don't know about you, but like, if I'm not getting like the results in life that I want, my, my mind says always, you know, apply more force, right? do more. If, like, if my family's not behaving the way I want it to, if my, whatever it is, it's like well, force and effort. And, and the idea of scripture is not work harder on your feet, but drop more on your knees. Isn't that amazing? It's not force, it's faith. It's rest in God. It's prayer. That's where we wage this war. We wage this war on our knees. The church advance, Ian Bounds says, the church advances on their knees. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.